reminded today of how good a good shepherd our God is. He has shepherded us, his children, his sheep, faithfully through this past week. He has led us here this morning to gather together to worship his name. He brings us to this point when we will listen to his voice and follow him. Our God is a good and great shepherd and look forward to the ministry of God's word to our hearts this morning. James 1 21 says that when we receive with meekness the implanted word of God, it is able to save our souls. And so if you have your Bible with you this morning, and I hope you do, please turn to the New Testament, to the book of 1 Peter. We're going to begin looking at 1 Peter chapter 4 verses 12 through 19 this morning in a new section of our study of this book. And as you're turning there to 1 Peter chapter 4, I want to remind you of a truth that's recorded in, in Proverbs 15.23, which reads, to make an apt answer is a joy to a man and a word in season how good it is. In other words, it is good to get the right answer at the right time, to get exactly the right message at exactly the right moment, how good it is. And you know, God delights to do that for his people. He delights to give us exactly what we need to hear, exactly when we need to hear it. And I've seen this happen so many times as a pastor, I've lost count. Let me give you just three examples When I was a new pastor, a family in the church I was pastoring lost their dad unexpectedly. The morning before he died, I just happened to be teaching on John chapter 11, how Jesus directly states, I am the resurrection and the life, and then he finishes that statement by saying, do you believe this? He confessed to his family over lunch that day that he did, that very afternoon he died. The following Sunday, the family came to church, and I just happened to be teaching on how God is transcendently wise, and how, in His goodness and wisdom, He often does things that we'll never understand, the right message at the right moment. A few years later, I remember teaching on Luke chapter 13, verses 1 through 9, where Jesus was asked what was to be learned from Pilate slaughtering hundreds of Jews in the middle of worship. Jesus' answer in Luke 13 was never presume. You yourself, right now, could die at any moment, even in the middle of worship. So be ready. Be ready at all times. That afternoon, the church came home and found out that 26 people had been violently killed that morning while worshiping the Lord in a Baptist church in Texas. The right message at the right moment. I remember praying over a year and a half ago what book to study after Christ above all from the book of Colossians for all of you. I eventually selected 1 Peter thinking, well, at the very least, it'll prepare us as a church to begin thinking about hardships and the Lord's return. And here we are over a year and a half later and the message of how to live in an increasingly hostile world for the glory of God and the times in which we are living has never seemed to be more relevant. The right message at the right moment. That's what this letter is right now. And that's what this letter was back when it was first written. It was the right message at the right moment. See, in this letter, and particularly in the passage that is set before us this morning, 
Peter tells his listeners, a fiery trial is about to come upon you. A time of judgment is about to begin. Well, guess what? In less than six months, Nero burned Rome to the ground and blamed the Christians for the destruction. Thus began nearly 200 years of uninterrupted persecution, which resulted in the death of over 2 million Christians. It is estimated that over the next three, over the first 300 years of church history, nearly one out of every three Christians were martyred for their faith. That's astonishing. And it is a few short months before all that begins that Peter writes this passage before us today in 1 Peter, a passage that is focused on how to handle extended times of suffering and hardship. This was the right message at the right moment, and it still is. Every single one of us right now are either in a time of suffering, coming out of a time of suffering, or about to enter into a time of suffering. And so, a word in season, how good it is. Peter's going to show us, starting this morning, how we as believers are to handle God's extended times, how to handle extended times of sufferings when they come into our lives. And we're to handle suffering in four important ways for the glory of God in the times in which we're living. First, in verse 12, Peter teaches that suffering is to be assumed. In other words, it is inevitable in the world in which we live and the Christ that we've been called to follow. We are to expect it. Second, in verses 13 through 14, we learn that suffering is to be appreciated. In other words, there are intended blessings God bakes into suffering and hardship that comes, that comes. Third, in verses 15 through 18, Peter tells us that suffering is to be assessed. In other words, not all suffering is equal and alike. There are differences. And then finally, in verse 19, we're told that suffering is to be assigned. Suffering is not something that you and I are to carry on our own. It is to be assigned. And so as we live as end-time exiles in this world for the glory of God, we need to know how to respond to the extended times of suffering that these times often bring. And Peter shows us that the way that we do that is by realizing that suffering is to be assumed, appreciated, assessed, and assigned for the glory of God in the way that he instructs us in his words. This is how we're to handle times of suffering. And so with that in mind, if you would please stand with me out of reverence for the word of God as I read our passage this morning from 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 12 through 19. Apostle Peter, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, writes these words for us today. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice in so far as you share Christ's sufferings that you may also rejoice and be glad when His glory is revealed. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. But let none of you suffer as a murderer, as a thief, or as an evildoer, or as a meddler. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed." 
but let him glorify God in that name. For it is time for judgment to begin at the household of God. And if it begins with us, what will be the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God? And if the righteous are scarcely saved, what will become of the ungodly and the sinner? Therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. This is the word of God who blesses us through teaching us his statutes. Let's pray. Father, we, we thank you for your word. And Father, we thank you particularly this morning that your word is a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. Because we know, Father, that it is often when we are in the dark, those are the times when we are undergoing hardships and trials. We don't understand why. Sometimes we wonder where even you are in those moments. And we can feel at a loss. And so, Father, I thank you that your word supplies the light of truth to us so that we might embrace it by faith and follow you even in the darkest of times. Father, we thank you for how this passage that we're about to study has been a comfort and an encouragement for your children for generations and for millennia. Father, I pray that it would be a comfort and encouragement for us who are here this morning as well. Father, I pray that you would help me to communicate your truth in the way that it needs to be communicated. And I pray that you would shepherd us and guide us this morning by your spirit in your truth. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Yes, please. Because <laughs> I'm going to preach for a while. No, I'm just... <laughs> uh, I want you to know before I, I get started that, um, that the, when, you, when you preach, you prepare. And if you're doing it right, when you prepare, you pray. And as I've been preparing this message, the prayer that I've been praying is that <clears throat> one first that you would know my heart in sharing these truths, that this would be a very pastoral message. Because when we talk about extended times of suffering, I know there are many of our congregation that are going through trials of various times that are extended and hard. And so I want you to know my heart in sharing this. Some of the things that I'm going to share that Peter shares, it's not always easy to hear, but I want you to know my heart in sharing it first and foremost. I am not immune just so you know, so you're not sitting there thinking this guy has no idea what I'm going through and I am, he has no idea of extended hardship. Three examples just from my own life of how makes these passages have a special weight for me. Char and I had first gotten married. She had an ectopic pregnancy, and she almost died before they could get her into the hospital room. And there was a period of time of healing after that. I have gone through... uh, I had a disease that afflicted me for eight years that brought me to the point where I went into a hospital and the doctors wondered why I didn't die of a heart attack before I came into the emergency room. 
Um, and then, as a third example is uh, that kind of pertains to our marriage, uh, we lost a daughter at 41 weeks, just a couple of days from induction. And if that wasn't hard enough, then my wife dealt with a disease that took her out of commission and had us going back and forth from the home to the emergency room for well over the next two months as we're dealing with everything else. So I want you to know my heart in understanding how hard extended times of suffering can can be. Uh, But first and foremost, I want you to see the heart of Peter and the heart of God as he writes these words to us as we go through times of extended suffering as well. He knows, he understands, he cares, and that's why he gives us his truth and his presence by his spirit to lead us through those times unto glory. This is a pilgrimage, and he follows, he is with us in this pilgrimage. And so he gives us instructions here this morning of how to handle extended times of suffering in this world for the glory of God. And if we're going to handle them uh, for the glory of God, these extended times of suffering, then we have to realize first that suffering and extended times of suffering are to be assumed, are to be assumed. Verse 12 of 1 Peter chapter 4 says, Beloved, do not be surprised that the fiery trial, when it comes upon you to test you, as though something strange were happening to you. In other words, Peter's saying, you're going to suffer as a Christian. It's going to happen. So don't be surprised when you do. Jesus warned us of this. He said in Luke chapter 21, verse 16, you will be delivered up even by parents and brothers and relatives and friends, and some of you they will put to death. Jesus said in John 15, 19 through 20, Because you're not of this world, but I chose you out of this world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you. A servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. This is the teaching of Christ, and it is the teaching of his apostles. 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 12, Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Philippians 1.29, It has been granted to you not only to believe in Christ, but also to suffer for his sake. Acts 14.22, It is only through many tribulations that we enter the kingdom of God. Scripture's testimony is clear and consistent from beginning to end. The path of Christ that leads to splendor is always marked by earthly suffering. As C.S. Lewis wrote, hardship is often what prepares ordinary people for extraordinary destinies. Therefore, Peter tells us here that suffering as a believer who is headed to heaven should not be a surprise to you. It should be assumed, anticipated. But notice how Peter communicates this truth. He begins by saying a very important word, beloved. Beloved, literally, those of you who are loved. What a wonderful reminder this is for those believers who are undergoing extended times of pain and suffering and hardship. It is to remember That before everything else, God loves 
you and he always will. Never forget that. Though you will experience hurt and hatred in this world, you are loved by God and by those who belong to him. Revelation 1.5 calls Jesus the one who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his own blood. It's to that extent he loves us. John 13 verse 1 says that Jesus is the one who loves his own in this world to the uttermost. And Galatians 2.20 tells us that Jesus is the Son of God who loves me and gave himself for me. This is the badge of honor and of security that you and I as believers are hold fast to in every circumstance that comes into our lives. It is that Jesus loves me. This I know for the Bible tells me so. God has told me I am loved by him. This is my blessed identity. And I must hold fast to it in faith when I go through extended times of hardship. We see this wonderful truth repeated over and over again. Romans 1 verse 7, 1 Thessalonians 1 verse 4, 2 Thessalonians 2.13. What brings constant comfort to the hope, to the hearts of believers throughout the pages of Scripture is the knowledge that we are loved by God, that we are brothers beloved by the Lord. No suffering and no circumstance can ever change that, can ever separate you from the love of God that is found and secured for you in Christ Jesus our Lord. God has loved us with an everlasting love and he has engraved us on the palm of his hands. But that doesn't mean that we won't face hardship. As Peter says here, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial. When it comes upon you as though something strange were happening to you. And we've seen that throughout this entire letter of 1 Peter. Fiery trials that test our faith are not strange or foreign to the Father's love. In fact, they are expressions of our Father's love for us. It is because we are loved by God that you and I will face suffering in this life. As Hebrews 12, verses 6 through 7 puts it, the Lord disciplines the one he loves. He chastises every son whom he receives. Therefore, endure suffering as discipline, for God is treating you as his sons. He is preparing you for your inheritance, in other words. And so fiery trials are not strange. They belong to the Christian faith and to all those who are following Jesus. As one poet wrote, God's love for his son was never a shield to keep back him from Calvary's cross. And God's love for his children demands that we yield to trials that burn out even our dross. Quite simply, it is because God loves us that he is committed to purifying us. He unfold, as he folds us into himself and into his character through trials. And so Peter says, do not be surprised when fiery trials, literally, this is what it says in the Greek, continually come upon you. And that's exactly what Peter's 
first readers experienced. In just a few short months, they were about to go uh, enter into 200 years of uninterrupted hardship and persecution. I want you to think about that for a moment. Literally, there would be children, grandchildren, and great-grandchildren who would never know anything but the eminent threat of sudden death for being a Christian their whole life long. Close to 10 generations like that. Now we think as Americans, wow, that's strange, right? That's unusual. But what Peter is telling us here is no, what is strange and unusual is this. Look around you, a generation of Christians anywhere around the globe who are not suffering for their faith, who are not under an immediate threat of persecution this morning simply for coming to worship. That is what is strange. And brothers and sisters in Christ, it is still strange, even in our day. Why, just last year, over 5,621 Christians were murdered 2,110 churches were burned. 4,542 Christians were imprisoned explicitly because of their faith in Christ. According to the Open Doors watch list right now, 312 million Christians around the globe are facing extreme levels of persecution. In other words, 312 million Christians are facing every single day the potential of either death or imprisonment because of their faith. And so for us to be able to come and worship freely this morning and to have had multiple generations that you and I know who have enjoyed that, brothers and sisters, first and foremost, we have to acknowledge that we have been immensely blessed. Strangely blessed to enjoy times like this. But we are not promised that they will continue. In fact, what we're told in Scripture is that they will likely not. There are influential people in our earthly nation right now that are saying the phrase, everybody needs Jesus, is racist. And all public depictions of Christ and of the cross should be taken down. And when a certain statesman stated recently that if you wanted to know his personal beliefs, just read the Bible, multiple news sources immediately reported that as extreme fanatical ideology that needed to be removed from the government and the nation. This type of talk is not strange, American Christians. And if these things actually start happening, Peter is telling us, don't be surprised, as though something strange is happening to you. What's strange is that there's been so many years without things like that being said and without things like that being done. What's strange is that there have been so many years where Christians have been able to live and worship in comfort. That time will come to an end if the Lord tarries. Not because we as Christians have failed to engage properly in politics, may I just say. No. Study all of church history. I would contend the latter half of the 20th century will go down in American church history as the century of political activism. This time is coming to an end because we have a father who loves us. We have a father who loves his bride, the church, too much 
to allow this concept of comfortable, carnal, complacent Christianity to continue any longer. As Peter's about to say later, it's time for judgment to begin. In other words, it is time to purify God's treasured possession that he has purchased with his own blood. And therefore, beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you even in smaller ways in our lives as though something strange were happening to you. This is part of Christian, this is part of the Christian life of following Jesus. Suffering is not a surprise. Suffering is to be assumed. It is to be anticipated. And so the first way for believers to handle suffering is to assume it. Know that it's coming and prepare yourself mentally and spiritually to experience it. You are not owed a life of no suffering. You are designed to glorify God and to reflect his character. So suffering is to be assumed. Second, suffering is to be appreciated. You say, what in the world? Yeah. Peter says, or Paul says in 1 Thessalonians, give thanks in good circumstances, right? Give thanks in what? All circumstances. A good reminder for us as we're coming up on Thanksgiving holiday this week. Give thanks in all circumstances. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. And Peter says a very similar thing here. After he talks about, hey, don't be surprised when a fiery trial comes, on, comes upon you to test you, he then immediately follows that up by saying in verse 13, but rejoice. And that word actually means, but keep on rejoicing. Instead of being surprised by times of extended suffering, we ought to rejoice in it continually. You sit there and say, why? Is it because we love pain? No, we can rejoice because we love what? Pain, pain for Jesus Christ beneath the sovereignty of God produces. And Peter tells us here in these two verses that we're to rejoice, we're to appreciate suffering when it comes to us from the hand of God in this life for following Jesus for two reasons. We're to appreciate suffering first for its anticipated award. For its anticipated award. That's at the beginning of verse 13 where Peter writes this, but rejoice how insofar as you share Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. See, when Christ suffered, he suffered for doing good. He suffered because he lived a courageously pure and righteous life of faith before God and before man. And that's what we learned back in chapter 2, if you remember verses 21 through 23. He committed no sin, neither was there deceit in his mouth. He merited none of the suffering that came his way. Christ suffered for doing good and not for shrinking back from that testimony. And so when we suffer as Christians for doing good, Peter says that we're sharing here in Christ's sufferings. Just like chapter 2, verse 21 already taught us, we're following in his steps. And that is something to rejoice in. That is something to rejoice in and to keep on rejoicing in because if we're following in Christ's sufferings, then we will also share in his glory. As Peter says at the end of verse 13, he says, Rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings. Why? That you may also rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. See, if we are those who share in Christ's sufferings faithfully, that shows that you and I are also those who will one day share in Christ's glories eternally. It shows that we indeed belong to him. 
If we belong to his sufferings, we belong to his glories. As Romans 8 verse 17 says, if we're children, then that means we're heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. Suffering as a Christian gives us an anticipation of an award that we will be among those who will rejoice and be glad though we sorrow for a day joy will come in the morning we will rejoice and be glad when as peter says his glory is revealed i want to want you to have no mistaken understanding this morning that jesus is glorified right now He is right now seated at the right hand of the majesty on high as chapter 3 verse 22 states with all angels and authorities and powers having been subjected to him. Right now Jesus is the king of glory crowned with it. But ladies and gentlemen there is a day coming when Christ's glory is going to be revealed. When every eye will see him, Revelation 1 verse 7 says, And all the tribes of the earth will behold the Son of Man coming in clouds of heaven with great power and glory. And in that day, 2 Thessalonians chapter 1 tells us that he will grant final, complete, total relief to you who have been afflicted. On that day when the Lord Jesus Christ is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels to inflict vengeance on his enemies, to be glorified in his saints, and to be marveled at by all those who believe in him. As end times exiles, suffering for Christ reminds us that there is a relief coming. That though we may suffer now for a time, on that day when Christ's glory is revealed, we will rejoice and be glad for all eternity. Literally in the Greek, we will be jumping for joy in that day. Like Malachi 4 verse 2 predicts, like calves that leap from their stalls, we will skip an ecstatic happiness when all the world finally sees Jesus as he is and as we know him to be. And so Peter says, keep on rejoicing then, even now. Even as you share in Christ's sufferings today, because that suffering shows that one day soon you'll be ecstatic with joy as you share in his glory. We will rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. Suffering reminds us of this. And so when times of suffering come, extended times of suffering come, appreciate the award that God says that very suffering is anticipating a weight of glory beyond all comparison. And so appreciate its anticipated award. Look not to the things that are seen, but the things that are unseen, as we read this morning. Anticipate its award, and second, appreciate it for its present power. Peter says that there's a reason to rejoice in suffering, even right now, not just because of something that's to come, but even right now. And that is, if you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed, because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. Here Peter is describing a present objective reality, a present blessing that you and I can appreciate in the here and now when we suffer. Peter begins by saying, if you're insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed, and we really are. 
We really are. Peter, and we need to remind ourselves of this because sometimes we don't feel like we're blessed when we're going through extended times of suffering. Peter learned this truth from the lips of Christ himself when Jesus said in Luke 6, 22 through 23, Blessed are you even when people hate you and when they exclude you and when they revile you and when they spurn your name as evil on account of the Son of Man. In other words, if you're insulted for the name of Christ, you're blessed. And that's why Jesus says in verse 23, rejoice in that day and leap for joy. Why? Because you're blessed. How are you blessed? Well, Jesus says first, look to the future to know how you're blessed. He says, for behold, your reward is great in heaven. He then says, second, look to the past to see how you're blessed. For so their fathers did to the prophets, you have great company. And then Peter adds here in our passage before us today, third, look to the present to see how you're blessed. For the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. That's the blessing, ladies and gentlemen. When we suffer for righteousness' sake, the Holy Spirit rests upon us. And notice how the Holy Spirit is described here. He's described literally in the Greek, this is important for us to note, as the Spirit of glory even of God. Peter is highlighting the glory and the majesty of God the Holy Spirit. And Peter's audience would have immediately made a connection here to the Shekinah glory of God, that shining cloud in the Old Testament that you read about that always indicated the special, intimate, ministering presence of God to his people. The spirit of glory, you would have thought there is a Jewish audience. Well, that's who Jesus, or that's who Moses saw on the mountain. The spirit of glory, that's who filled the tabernacle. The spirit of glory, that's who took up residence in the temple. And Peter's saying, when you suffer for the name of Christ, that special, intimate, ministering presence of God comes to rest upon you. Now, I need to be clear, we as Christians, we already have the Holy Spirit indwelling in us. But here, Peter is describing something special that the Holy Spirit uniquely does to minister to Christians, I believe, when they go through persecution and hardship and intense times of suffering. The spirit of glory, even of God, rests upon you, he says. When we as Christians enter into suffering for the word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ and the glory of God in this world, God makes us, Peter's saying, like Moses, whose face shone out the glory of God because he beheld it. God makes us like a tabernacle so that was so glorious you couldn't even enter it. God makes us as his people like the temple when God's shining presence filled the holy of holies. When you or I enter into suffering for the sake of Jesus Christ and the glory of God in this world, when we respond to that in faith, as John 11 calls us, that if you believe, you will see the glory of God. When we respond in faith to our extended periods of times of suffering, God promises that his special presence of glory, majesty, and grace will rest upon us. Can I tell you that that is a wonderful promise? And can I tell you that it is a real promise? Because we see this promise come true at the very beginning of church history all the way through. We see it begin with the very first martyr of the New Testament church with a man named Stephen. 
Acts 6.15 says that when Stephen was brought before the council that had killed Jesus just days before, it says, all who sat on the council saw that his face was like the face of an angel. What does that mean? Is it shining? No. It means his face looked like someone who had seen the glory of God. And as the council ground their teeth in anger, dragged him out of the city and proceeded to stone him, Acts 7, 55 through 60 says that Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And he said, behold, I see the heavens opened and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. And as they were stoning Stephen, he called out, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And falling to his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And when he said this, he fell asleep. How do you explain that? Easy. Spirit of glory, even of God, rested upon him. Why did it come upon him in such a vibrant way? So that all those who would follow Stephen in the centuries and millennia to follow would know that God gives special grace for his children. Spirit of glory, even of God, rested upon him. This is the precious blessing that belongs to all God's people as they undergo intense sufferings in the cause of Christ. You say, God doesn't have enough grace for my trial. Then you disbelieve God. It's been shown since Stephen all throughout church history that in the face of intense suffering comes intense grace. This is how the martyrs of old faced death with such glory and majesty. The spirit of glory, even of God, rested upon them. I wish I had time to tell all their stories. If you've never read these books, I would encourage you, buy a copy of Fox's Book of Martyrs. And then I would encourage you to buy Light from Old Times by J.C. Ryle. It is such an encouragement as you see the martyrs of the faith in times of old be borne up by the strength and grace of God for our own benefit and exhortation today. But for our point this morning, let me just tell you one story pertinent to our point. Thomas Hawkes was a Protestant father who was burned at the stake in England in 1555 because he refused to have his son baptized into the Roman Catholic Church. He believed that baptism was for those who have trusted in Christ. And as his friends came to visit in jail before his execution, several of them, knowing that what awaited Thomas, doubtless awaited them in the future too, requested that if it was possible, Thomas might do something before he died that showed if God gives grace and comfort to endure the most exquisite torments, even burning. They wanted to know in case God would have them walk the same path as he. Thomas agreed, saying that if the rage of pain was tolerable, and if God gave him grace, he would lift his hands towards heaven before his departure to show that God gives exceptional grace for exceptional trials. The next day, Thomas Hawks was led to the place of his execution. As the fires were lit, Thomas pleaded with the crowds powerfully to surrender to Jesus Christ and with his authorities to recognize the divine penalty that shedding innocent blood brings. And then as he was 
tide there burning, he began to pray for them all. Soon afterwards, however, the violence of the flames contracted his skin and took his breath away. Thomas slumped forward and his body fell silent. The spectators thought that he was dead until suddenly Thomas lifted his flaming hands over his head and if and as if in an ecstasy of joy clapped them together three times. The crowd was astonished and his friends to whom he had given the promise were filled with confidence seeing firsthand that God indeed does give glory and strength to support his children no matter the trial they go through. Glory, strength, comfort. Beloved, you and I too can have confidence and we can be filled with hope for we have the promise, not of one Thomas Hawk, but of God himself, that exceptional trials bring exceptional grace and that the spirit of glory, even of God, will rest upon you. Therefore, the sufferings of this present age can not only be assumed, they can be appreciated because they remind us of our anticipated reward and they remind us of our present power. The spirit of glory, even of God, will rest upon you. You don't make it through any trial on your own. You only make it by the spirit and power of God himself. In conclusion, the English Puritan Edmund Barker once wrote, Every Christian has two great works to do in this world. To live well and to die well. This morning, we have found a blessed promise that God will give us abundant grace and power to do just That when we face suffering for the sake of Christ, which should be assumed, and even when we face that most darkest of valleys, the shadow of death, we can be confident that the spirit of glory, even of God, will rest upon us. And he will enable us in our times of suffering, both today and until we enter glory, He will enable us to look forward to our anticipated reward and be confident in our present power. So beloved, I want you to take heart. You who are suffering through trials of various kinds, God loves you, beloved. And he is with you. And if you surrender, if you surrender, your circumstances and sufferings to him, he will strengthen you. Not only to live well, but even if he calls you to, to die well also. And in that, we can rejoice. That's how end times exiles handle times of suffering. We'll look at, have to look at the final two ways to handle suffering next week but for now this is first peter chapter 4 verses 12 through 14 which i now commit to your further studies and your faithful obedience until christ in all his glory is revealed may his word 
do its ministering work in all of our hearts. I pray this. And to this end, let's pray together. Father, I thank you so much for your word. Thank you that it is like a sharp two-edged sword pierces to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit of joints and marrow and is a discerner of the thoughts and intentions of the heart. We thank you, Father, for how not only does it sometimes cause pain when we consider what we're often thinking about and what we're often worshiping during times of sorrow and hardship, but that your word is not only a knife to open up the wound, but it is a balm to bring healing afterwards. So, Father, we thank you that you are committed in love to us, that you are committed to our greatest good and the greatest good in this universe as well. So, Father, I pray that you would help us to trust in you, When we go through times of extended hardship, Father, help us to walk by faith and not by sight. Help us to look to things that are not seen rather than the things that are seen. Help us to look towards that anticipated award and help us to rely on the present power that you promised your children to walk through this life and to enter glory someday. Father, help us to exhibit the transforming grace and life of Christ. And so, Father, I pray that as we rely on you this week, that you would equip us to live well. And if you call us this week, to die well also. Because you have taught us how to handle times of suffering. Give us grace to turn to you each and every day. May you give us grace to glorify you in all circumstances. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.